What it's a reminder is that no matter how much God works miraculously in our lives, miracles will never sustain our faith. Signs and wonders will never sustain a person's faith. Because once you get bent on having the next experience, all you do is run around trying to find the next experience. There's a place for signs and wonders. There's a place for the miraculous, but it was not designed to sustain your faith. Though not widely publicized, miracles still happen today. Even small moments where only God could have made a change can bolster our faith and leave us praising Him. However, Pastor Daniel reminds us in today's message that those miracles, though incredible, are not meant to sustain our faith. We need to spend time in the Bible and in communication with God to really have a firm grasp on His love and mercy and plan for our lives. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, A Look Back. By the time we get to Mara, we find in verse 8, back in Exodus 15, that is where the bitter waters were cleansed by the Lord through the servant Moses. We get to Elam and all these different places. And the Red Sea is where they're encamped. And remember what happened when they're at the Red Sea. Remember, the Pharaoh came to his senses and realized he had just let go this great group of people who was working slave labor for him. And he went out after them. And remember, the children of Israel had the Red Sea in front of them and they had the Egyptian armies behind them. And they were freaking out. I mean, wouldn't you, in that situation, even though God led them out, they're stuck. They're not between a rock and a hard place. They're between a pursuing army and a body of water. And Moses has a great idea. He says, stand and see the salvation of God. See, I love that about the things in the Bible because God's ways of deliverance is never the way we would want it, right? It's like, you always think about like the way God delivers his people and it's never logical. It never happens early and it always involves a step of faith. Isn't that how it goes? Like, I always think of the children of Israel. They go into the promised land. We'll get there in the book of Joshua, right? And the commander of the Lord's army comes and meet with Joshua. And Joshua's like, hey, are you for us or for our enemies? He's like, man, I'm the commander of the army. And Joshua's like, oh, sorry. And the commander of the Lord's army gives Joshua a plan. He's like, this is what you're going to do. Jericho is a great walled city. I want you to walk around it. Joshua's like, okay. I want you to walk around it. Every day for seven days. Joshua's like, okay. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around a bunch of times. And when you're done, I want you to yell and blow trumpets and all the walls are going to fall down. Joshua's like, okay. Do you imagine Joshua going back to all the captains of the armies? I got the plan. Okay, you ready? I got the plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to walk around it. Okay. We're going to walk around every day for seven days. Great. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around a lot of times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to blow trumpets and we're going to yell and the walls are going to fall down. I would be like, oh no. Where's Moses when you need him? If this is the plan, we need to find a new leader. 
But you guys know the story, because what happens? They blow the trumpet, they shout, what happens? All the walls fall down. Can you imagine the Jerichoites watching? They're like, what are they doing? They're walking around. They're doing a little hike around the city. And then they walk around a bunch of times like, wow, man, what is wrong with these people? And all of a sudden, the walls fall down. See, God's plan in human eyes is completely illogical. Even the salvation in Christ. I remember when I first was starting to read the Gospels for the very first time, kind of a blank slate. And I'm like, okay, so God's plan to save humanity is to kill a guy. That makes great sense. Doesn't make any sense. We would think of a different way to do it. The foolishness of God is infinite wisdom. See, God's ways are so different from our ways. And I just love the fact that God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and he puts them right into a pickle. Because God knows that the great deliverance of yesterday was not going to sustain them in the moment of temptation, in the moment of fear. And they started fearing and then God did something amazing. And then they're like, wow, what the Lord has done. And they go a little further and then they get faithless again. And then God does something amazing. And doesn't that sound like your life and my life? That God is doing these amazing things and we forget. And then God does something else amazing and we forget. And we get worried and we, I don't know how it's going to work out. And then God does something amazing. And this is why we write this stuff down. See, although the details change, People don't change. And if we forget how faithful God has been in the past, we will forget in the moment of trial how faithful the Lord is. And my friends, hasn't God been faithful to you? Sure, he doesn't do it the way you want him to. Sure, if you could have written the story, you would have written a completely different way, and so would I. But along the way, we see the faithfulness of God. And we learn how to trust God as we journey. The children of Israel end up at the Red Sea. And this huge deliverance. Unbelievable. They walk through that sea on dry land with walls of water on either side. Now, for the skeptic around here, and I'm sure, I love that we have skeptics at Crossroads. I love that. You know why? Because I love the fact that people can grow and learn here. I love that. And if you're here and you're, you're like, I don't really know if I believe in Jesus, but I'm checking this out. I love that you're here. You're welcome here. This is the kind of place you can come and grapple with this stuff. Because I'm here to tell you, as a pastor, our staff, we're all grappling with this stuff. It's not like we know it's in the word and we believe it, but we're like, Lord, explain this to us. How does it work? Now, I know there's some skeptics like, yeah, I can't believe the Bible. You know what I mean? Because who can believe that God could part the waters and there'd be waters, like walls of water on either side? right? Someone's bound to say, that's not possible. But I would say it is possible. Just go to any aquarium. If humanity can figure out how to put up glass walls so that you can actually see the fish. I mean, how many have been to an aquarium and you see like a little shark go by and you're like, oh. you know, a little jellyfish, you're like, oh. right? If humans can figure out how to do it, and if God created humans, which means God knows everything more than humans know, if we can figure out how to do it, then if there is a God, and I believe that there is, wouldn't God already know how to do that? And do you think God would really need glass to do it? See, every miracle in the Bible, or almost every miracle in the Bible, we can recreate by human means with a little technology and wisdom. And so it's so important to remember, just because God can do it without all of the 
human technological means doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means God is wicked smart. And God has control over everything. And if there is a God, that God would be wicked smart. And if there is a God, he would be wicked smart. God wouldn't need all human mechanisms because God creates everything and sustains everything and knows how everything works. God could reform matter in any way God would want to at any time if it suited the purposes of God. And when you start thinking about those things, you start to realize it's actually brilliant and logical to believe in God. Because all this stuff isn't by happenstance. It's perfectly aligned by God. Now, from the Red Sea, look at what happens next. Verse 11, they moved from the Red Sea. And I love that. They don't even say anything about the great deliverance. They're at the Red Sea. They moved from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of sin. And they journeyed from the wilderness of sin and camped at Dovka. That's verse 12, verse 13. They departed from Dovka and camped at Alush. They moved from Alush and camped at Rephadim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They departed from Rephadim, and they camped in the wilderness of Sinai. They moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped in Kibroth Hatah Avah. Now, what we find is they move from the Red Sea, where there was this great deliverance, and they move into the wilderness of sin. Now, according to Exodus 16.1, their arrival here was on the 15th day of the second month. So everything before, that was a month's time of them kind of wandering around. They have a couple different places that they stop, and then they end up in the desert of Sinai, which gets you to Exodus chapter 19. And you guys all remember that they spent a good bit of time on Mount Sinai. They were there, and God was meeting with them. And God, remember, God gave Moses the two tablets of stone. And by the time Moses came down, they had created a golden calf. They had already abandoned the God who delivered them and started worshiping idols. And Moses broke down those two tablets, and he had to go back up again. God gave him some new ones, and all these things went on. But then finally, when they moved from the desert of Sinai or Mount Sinai, they end up at Kibroth Hata'avah. And we find out that they literally moved from Sinai in Numbers chapter 10. So just 20 chapters back. So it's amazing to realize that the book of Exodus and Leviticus and the beginning of the book of Numbers took place in about a month or two's time. And then the book of Numbers from chapter 10 all the way to now covers 38 years. Just a few things are given. But it's interesting that they leave Mount Sinai and they go to Kibroth Hata'ava. How many of you remember Kibroth Hata'ava? Anybody remember from Numbers chapter 11? That in the Hebrew literally means the graves of lust. The graves of lust. Remember they wanted quail? They were tired of eating God's miraculous manna. Right? I mean, think about that. Every day, God was feeding them miraculously and they got sick of it. We never do that kind of stuff, do we? Of course we do. We say, God, Lord, give me a job. Lord, please, if I just had a job, we do good. Then God gives you a job. And after one week, like, I hate this stinking job. You were dancing around your social media. I got a job. I got a job. Be our friends. All this fun stuff's going on. And then a week later, you're like, I wish I was unemployed all over again. Isn't that how it goes? See, God does something miraculous, and then we get bored. We're like, I, don't, I wish there was different. I wish something was different. God was feeding them miraculously with bread from heaven, and they're like, we are tired of this stinking bread. We want bird. Give us some poultry. 
And sure enough, God sent quails. And remember, they were so overwhelmed with lust for the bird that literally it was coming out of their noses. They were gluttonous. And people died. What it's a reminder is that no matter how much God works miraculously in our lives, miracles will never sustain our faith. Signs and wonders will never sustain a person's faith. Because once you get bent on having the next experience, all you do is run around trying to find the next experience. There's a place for signs and wonders. There's a place for the miraculous, but it was not designed to sustain your faith. The word of God, the fellowship of believers, prayer and self-sacrificial service sustains your faith. Miracles, when they happen, we praise God for them. We rejoice in them, but they will never sustain your faith. I mean, the children of Israel experienced the most miraculous things at the hands of God, and at every turn right after it, they crashed. It'll never sustain you. In the same way, the richest foods that you could eat, it won't sustain you. You need to eat healthy and enjoy your rich foods at the right times but it won't sustain you. The children of Israel are a great example of it. So by the time we reach Kibroth Hatah Avah in verse 16, we're already into the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 10. Now look at what it says from there in verse 17. It says, they departed from Kibroth Hatah Avah and they camped at Hazaroth. They departed from Hazaroth and they camped at Rithma. They departed from Rithma and they camped at Rimon Perez. They departed from Rimon Perez and camped at Libna. They moved from Libna and camped at Risha. They journeyed from Risha and they camped at Kehelatha. They went from Kehelatha and camped at Malsafur. They moved from Malsafur and camped at Harada, or however we say that. They moved from Harada and camped at Makaloth. They moved from Makaloth and they camped at Tahath, they moved, departed from Tahath and they camped at Terah. They moved from Terah and camped at Mithka. They went from Mithka and they camped at Hashmana. They departed from Hashmana and they camped at Maseroth. They departed from Maseroth and they camped at Benejakan. They moved from Benejakan and camped at Hor Hagedgal. They went from Hor Hagedal. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Now you guys know, real quick, with biblical names, right? Nobody really knows how to syllabify me. You're talking to someone in the South, they say it with a Southern accent. You talk to someone from New Jersey, they say it with a Jersey accent. They talk to people in Washington and everybody's from a different place. So you all have unique accents anyway. So the beauty is, is what I always tell people when you're teaching the Bible, just say it like you mean it and everyone will think you know what you're talking about. But I do always tell you that in Hebrew words, the accent is on the last syllable of the word, which is complete opposite of all the Romance languages. So at best, if you say it with the accent on the last syllable, you'll be kind of close, kind of close. Anyway, where were we in this beautiful list? Verse 34, they moved from Jatpaha and camped at Abranah. They departed from Abranah and camped at Ezion Geber. They moved from Ezion Geber and camped at the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh. They moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the boundary of the land of Eden. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. Aaron was 123 years old when he died at Mount Hor. So we move all the way 
and all these things from Numbers 10 all the way through Numbers 20. And by the time we get to Numbers chapter 20, verses 25 and 28, we find out that Aaron the priest goes up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and he dies there. So we remember in the beginning, we find that Moses and Aaron are part of the deliverance team for the children of Israel. And now we find at Mount Hor, Aaron, the brother of Moses, dies. We find out he was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. That's an amazing number, isn't it? Because what it tells you is that when Aaron and Moses were bringing them out, Aaron was 83 years old. So for those of you who are getting on in years, you are young. And God wants to use you mightily. And listen, I realize that American culture values youth, but God values people. And I think for those of you who are part of our elder generation, you need to be getting at the work of the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to get at it differently than when you were younger. But the amount of experience and wisdom, your time walking with the Lord, I want to exhort you to set the pace for us youngins. Show us what it's like to be radical for Jesus. Show us what it's like to walk by faith. You know, one of the things I love about our founding pastor, Pastor Bill, you know, when you retire, you know, it's like you just go and you can work on your pinochle game or something. That's one way to do retirement. Or you could just be like, man, I'm freed up to serve the Lord. I'm going to get at the work of the ministry. And our culture says, listen, you worked hard enough. Now just get really good at pinochle. But guess what? When you get to heaven, ain't no one going to be there because you're bad pinochle game. Unless you use pinochle as a way to reach people with the gospel, which you can. But be an example. Like, I love this. Aaron's 83. He dies at 123. And Aaron was in the middle of all this stuff that God was doing. He wasn't perfect. But God used him mightily. And literally for four, his last 40 years, he was on a journey with his people trying to lead them into God's purposes for their life. And brothers, sisters, those of you who are older, we need your leadership. We need your passion. We need your zeal and your wisdom to help us in the ways that we need to be going. And I love that about Aaron, 123. So listen, if you're here right now and you're thinking, man, I'm just too old to be used of the Lord. I want you just to underline verse 39 in Numbers 33 in your neighbor's Bible. That, that's your, he was 123 and he was being used of the Lord every single day up until it was time for him to go home. Now in verse 40, it says, now the king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. And so they departed from Mount Hor and they camped at Zalmona. They departed from Zalmona and camped at Punan. They departed from Punan and camped at Aboth. They departed from Aboth and camped at Ish Abarim on the border of Moab, and they departed from Ejim and camped at Dibon Gad. They moved from Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathaim. They moved from Ammon Diblathaim and camped in the mountains of Abraim before Nebo. They departed from the mountains of Abraim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jesimoth as far as Abel, Acacia Grove, 
in the plains of Moab. And so what we find is that final movement that brings them all the way up to the edge of the promised land, right across from Jericho, across the Jordan River. Now, for those of you who enjoy maps and things, you can do a Google search on Numbers chapter 33, and you can look at some of the journeys. Now, the problem with all of the maps, and if you do a Google search, you pull them up, or I get them out of commentaries, everybody's got a different set of journeys. And you know why? Because we don't know where all these places are today. All of the names don't carry over over thousands of years. And so every scholar is trying their best, given the parameters, say, I think it's somewhere around here, and it could be related to this place. But if you like that kind of thing, I realize that everyone's got kind of different things because they're saying this place could be here. So maybe they went here. And so there's not like a, this is really all the places that they went, but we see these are all the journeys and they land literally on the edge of the promised land. Now look at what it says in verse 50, because it ends with some instructions, which includes both warnings and encouragements. Look at what it says. Verse 50. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all of their engraved stone, destroy all of their molded images and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall, verse 54, divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the large, you shall give a larger inheritance and to the smaller, you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. Verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. You catch that? So we've got this whole journey, all the places that they've been. Now they're standing at the edge of the promised land. And he says, look, when you go over, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you need to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. He's saying, listen, when you go into the place that I've promised you, you need to get rid of everybody there and you need to destroy all of their altars of worship. Literally everything. Every person needs to be gone and every high place needs to be destroyed. Why? Because God wants them to be free to worship him and him alone. And God said, look, if you left, if you leave any people there, if you leave their engraved stones, their high places, all their articles of worship, literally he says that they're going to become irritants to your eyes. Jesus is As the Israelites contemplated their recent history and the moments of God they didn't always appreciate, Pastor Daniel shared how God is active in our own lives. Today, we can recognize His presence and respond knowing He's there to guide and support us. 
Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel. Have you ever asked yourself, what is this life really all about? How shall I live? See, these are life's most important questions. Jesus invites us to follow him on a journey of discovering the art of living, and he gives us the answers to these questions. I'm stoked to share with you my newly released book where you can learn how to live an abundant life by living upward, inward, and outward through loving God and loving yourself and loving others. I will unpack the keys to a life that overflows with blessing. So here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. This is exciting news. Pastor Daniel's new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, is not currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else. Pastor Daniel would like to offer a special pre-released signed copy of his book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner from the main menu. There you can give your gift. And again, as a thank you, we will send you a special pre-released signed copy of Pastor Daniel's upcoming book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel begins to wrap up his study in the book of Numbers. The Israelites have been looking back at their history, but now God is ready to share the plans for their future and ours as well. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 